You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Over the past, um, I guess, 72 hours, uh, we've seen snow, we've seen um, the melting of snow, some change in temperature. Um, but there are, there are things that we see that just kind of, the, they kind of mess with us, right? Um, you, there are all kinds of different things. We were on our way back last night. We, we, I took Deb off um, for her birthday, and we did some stuff Friday, Saturday, and we were coming back last night, and uh, just, just hit a stretch of highway that was just way different than anything I've ever seen. And as we approached it, it was really hard to tell what was going on until we got closer. As we were traveling down I-40, coming back in, um, I think it was just like on the other side of Burlington, there was, a, there was a section, and as we approached, it looked like there was this twinkling star thing happening. But it wasn't real high. It was, it was down low, and we were like, what in the world is going on? And so as we got closer, we realized that the LED lights for that part of the interstate, that something was drastically and desperately wrong with that. You saw it? Yeah, it was strange. It was kind of cool looking. And I really wanted it to happen again the further we went. But it was, they were blinking and not really in a, in, couldn't really tell a sequence because you were driving at, at, in the speed, within the speed limit. What are you guys laughing about? So, so we get there, and it was just one of these strange things. And it didn't seem to fit. When, when Peter addresses the exiles that have been moved into Asia Minor, they move into an area where their life doesn't seem to fit. In fact, if those that lived in Asia Minor looked at the, the Christians that moved the, in there, what they should have seen is they should have seen a people that looked vastly different from anybody else, vastly different from anybody, especially apart from Christ. And so it, was a, it should have been a strange sight. And when Peter addresses the exiles, he's reminding them that it does not need to be fixed that they need to continue to look strange to those around them. They need to continue to shine like that. And so as we've been talking about these exiles that have moved there, last week we talked about behavior. And I, and I told Deb, I said, I struggle with, with this idea of behavior and talking about behavior. Because there's... there's such a, a temptation when you start talking about the behavior of Christians that you get into a legalistic mode and you say, this is what Christianity ought to look like. Your behavior ought to be this. And so I, I tend to, to kind of push back on that because I realize that the behavior of Christians is an act of grace in our life. And so I struggle with some of that terminology in that and we talked about it last week. I want to repeat it this week so that we're on the same page. Is that your behavior is a result of a, relation, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your behavior does not earn God's favor. Got that? 
Behavior is something that you do in response. It's obedience that you do in response to what God has done for you. And so it's not forced. It's not pushed. It's something that is a response. And when we take it out of the realm of response into the realm of earning salvation or earning favor with God, say, I need to do this so that God loves me more, then we've stepped into legalism. And that's not biblical. We are called to obey, but we're called to obey because our relationship with God and our love for Him, we're called to that and it reflects His character and His holiness. And so our behavior changes because of who He is, not because of what we do or what we can do. And so last week, we talked about salvation through Christ means that you live differently for Christ. We said that to be prepared for action. That's one of the things that Peter said. Be prepared for action. Keep a perspective on life and look past the present. To have a future-looking kind of life that says that even though these things are happening around us, even though the exiles are in this place that they don't seem to fit, they need to live there with, with a vitality in their relationship with God, but also look forward to the time when Jesus is coming back. And in the midst of suffering, always have the idea that God has your back and that God will take care of you. And so we get to this morning's, and I want to ask you a question. What does a label say about you and what you do? What does a label say about you and what you do? And we sometimes think about labels too much, and we take those labels and we add value to the labels. I don't know, if you were to think back, what, what label did you have as a child? You know, what labels were put on you? And it may be by a parent, it may be by a teacher or a coach or, or somebody else. I grew up with several of those, and, and some of them I, I'd be willing to share, some of them not so much. I'll give you the positive ones, you know, um, or the ones that sort of make sense. I mean, it, when, I, when I was growing up, one of my nicknames was Sip. I mean, that was just part of it, and, and we had another kid that we called Tigger, and another one we called Clank, uh, which came out of Hogan's Heroes, but his, his name really wasn't that. We just called him that, and I don't even know why. So we had you know, several different names for, for guys, and, and sometimes it had to do with their personality or their character traits. Um, when I moved to, to college and got a job in a, in, with an audiovisual company, I didn't know anything. And uh, how many of you remember 35-millimeter slide projectors? All right, so you remember those. Yeah, a lot of times it was the missionary who came to the church that had the 35-millimeter slide projector. He would set it up, and he'd stand there with the clicker that was wired. And he would just click through his slides and say, this is me at the beach. This is me away from the beach, you know, whatever it happened to be. And we'd go through that. And so my job when I first started there was to clean the equipment. So it would come in, and I'd take pieces apart, and I would wipe them clean. I put them all back together and put them on the shelf for the next time they went out on a rental. And so what happened is they would call me and they'd say, Bobby. And so that's, that's what I was called there. And they said, Bobby, do this. And Bobby, do that. And, and they would go through that. And so my nickname became Bobby Do. 
It's just, it's the way it was. And so we could have put that name on my shirt, and for a while it would have fit. They said, you know, Bobby, do this, and Bobby, do that. And so I don't know what label you could write down, but we live in a society that recognizes labels, don't we? And we, we recognize labels in sports figures. We recognize labels even in the political realm. I, I just wrote down some. You got deplorables, liberal, conservative, extremists, radicals, um, and each carries a different characteristic or version of characteristics that you may have and that others may have. And so we could talk about that because, you know, in those labels, there are characteristics that follow that. And Peter identifies several labels within the passage of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. And he starts off this in, in talking about some of the labels for the people that have moved into this Asia Minor section of, of, the, of that area. And as he's starting with this, he reminds them of something. So he starts in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. And what I'd love for you to do, would you stand as we read this first section of 1 Peter chapter 2? It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we know from this passage we will be reminded of who we are in Christ and as weird as we may appear to those in Asia Minor. Father, our lives need to represent you and we need to wear on the back of our shirts your name because we belong to you. They need to see you in us. And so, Father, we may be known by various labels. And some of those labels may bring great joy. They may bring guilt. They may bring shame. They may bring a whole host of emotions and, and feelings. But God, the one that matters most is the one that is wrapped up in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, teach us this morning and stretch us. Father, I pray that as you call us to be in the game, in the big game, that you would accomplish what you need to in our lives individually in this room. And so, God, be glorified in that as we listen and respond to your voice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So here in the, in the very first part of chapter 2, Peter starts out, So put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And we, we could go through these because there are things that, that we would recognize. To put away all malice is essentially evil. To put away deceit has, has that idea of just trying to get away with something. And then hypocrisy, we know, is a, is a theatrical term. It's to put on that mask. And it's really that, 
that one thing that you hear the outside world talking about the church, what they say of what they see and why they don't come to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there, right? What they're saying, there's a bunch of people that wear masks on Sunday morning, and we don't need to be in that spot. We want to be where people are real. We want to hang out with authentic folks. And so hypocrisy is, is one of those. And then envy, the idea of wanting something that is not ours. We may look at somebody else and say, I, I wish I had that. And, and it can go from the idea of wanting that to the idea of jealousy and desire feeling like you deserve it. <laughs> and that can get us in a lot of trouble. It can get us in trouble in our checkbook and our credit cards and all those kind of things when we start going down that road. And then the last thing that Peter mentions is slander. He's just saying something about somebody else that is not correct, that, is, that doesn't lift them up or encourage them. It's not necessarily truth. It's just something that pulls somebody else down. <clears throat> now, I want you to think about the things in this first, this first verse. Well, what do they all have in common? What, what is the common characteristic in, in chapter 2, verse 1? They're all self-centered, aren't they? They're really all about, if you were to put it, it's, a, it's about me. And so if it's about me, then it's what I deserve, what I want, what makes me feel elevated. It's the thing that, that makes me feel like better about myself. And what Peter is saying is, is and you got to realize who he's writing to. He's writing to a group of people that have moved into an area that they're not familiar with. And so what would, what would their feeling as they moved in here and don't even want to be there, what would their feelings be? kind of, it should be about me. I've moved for God. I'm trying to be a witness for Him. And it becomes, it starts to become all about who they are. And Peter's trying to remind them, he said, put away all malice and all slander and envy, hypocrisy and deceit. Put those things away. Because when you start centering on you and who you are, you forget who God is and who Jesus is in your life. And how can you possibly be an effective witness for him among a people that don't know him if it's all about you? It doesn't work. It didn't work then. It would not work now. If it is about any one of us in this room and not about Jesus, we will cease to be an effective witness for him. And so we could do all kinds of things, but if it becomes about other than Jesus, we're in trouble. Everything God speaks through Peter in this first verse is me-centered at its root. And those folks, just like us, live in a pressure cooker. They live in a place where the pressure is for you and me and them to look at ourselves and say, don't we deserve something? So I want us to get into this because um, if, as we set that stage and we start getting into verse 2, Peter makes this shift from, from verse 1 where it's put away self 
to verse 2 where he talks about, hey, lift up Christ and look at who you are in Christ. Let's, let's go to that side of it. Because the first thing he says is like newborn babes long for, desire the pure milk of the word. Or like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. When we look at that, when you think about newborn babies, what do newborn babies do? Some of you are going, I know exactly what newborn babies do. They, they really only have three things, and they do them extremely well, right? I mean, the first thing they do is they sleep. If you're lucky, they sleep. And so that's, that's one thing that they do well. They also make a mess. Deb and I were somewhere yesterday, and we passed by a, a family, and there wasn't really a changing spot around. And as we walked by, the, the family was kind of creating a human curtain around this mom and child. And you could you kind of tell what was going on, but you really didn't want to look. You know what I mean? And, um, but as we got a little closer, they were moving around stuff, and she goes, whoa, that's that's." Woo, that's a big one. And you're like, I think I know what that is. Glad I'm not downwind, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And so they, babies make a mess. But the other thing they do is they eat. It kind of encourages the mess. But they eat. And you know how that works. Two, three o'clock in the morning when they are hungry, they do what? They cry. Because that's what they do. They're letting you know that I am in need of something and I long for something that is important to me. And as far as I'm concerned, it is life and death. I'm not going to stop crying until I get what I need. And babies do that. They, they sleep, they mess, and they eat. And what, Peter, what does Peter say? Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. What he's saying is we ought to have a longing about our life that resembles a newborn babe when, it, when we start talking about the Word of God. Our lives, our lives ought to be characterized by this longing. If you go back and look at Psalm 42, Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Does that, is that a characteristic of your life? Or not? Because, and if we think about it in these terms, if we go back to, to what Pastor Isaiah said earlier about a coach sharing with the players, John 3.16, what is that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that not tied to being born again? Why would God essentially use that term, born again? It's a fresh start. It's being born by the Spirit. And here we have this fleshed out. As you've been born, now it's time to act like newborn babes. Long for the pure milk of the Word that you may grow in respect to salvation. I don't think there's any coincidence that, that those terms are used. And Psalm 42 was the idea that we should long for God, long for His Word. To have this panting in our life that says, 
To us, it is life and death, and if we don't do this, we will die. That's what a newborn does. And so that ought to characterize our life as well. I'm not exactly sure how it works. There are, there's a vast percentage of folks, and it's not just here, but it is here, that can skip Bible study. They, they come to worship, but they can skip a small group Bible study like at 9.15 every Sunday morning or Wednesday night and, and not study God's Word any other time and feel like that they're fulfilling their responsibility or even their longing for God's Word? If they don't do any of that, are they really getting fed? In fact, if, the, if you're looking to get all of your nourishment from this hour on a weekly basis... You will starve to death. And it really doesn't matter how deep or how shallow the hour here is. This is just a piece of that. When I go out to eat, I don't order just the fries, unless that's the only purpose I have. When I go out to eat for a meal, I get more than that. And it's a variety of things. When I'm with Deb and there's, there's, there are some Brussels sprouts around because she won't fix them, I order them. But that's not the only thing I order. I'm just not snacking on Brussels sprouts. It goes with something else. And, and God has given us this and should have given us this longing to grow in, in His Word and as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word that we may grow in respect to salvation. Get nourishment as a believer. Long for the nourishment as a believer. That you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So how does that relate to our relationship? How is our relationship? I was approached by a pastor at a previous church and he had some students in the student ministry. Jeremiah, you'll identify with this. Pastor's kids. And he walked up to me and he said, can you make my kids desire God? i nope. Not my thing. I can expose them to what it means to follow God, and I can expose them to the truth of God's Word, but I cannot create in them the desire to know God. It's not my job. It's really between them and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 34, 8 says that to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I want to encourage you, if you say, you know, I've backed off from God's word, I want to encourage you to taste it. To taste and see that God is good. And long for it as a newborn child that you may grow up in respect to salvation. Why is it in respect to salvation? You will appreciate your, your salvation more if you understand what Jesus did for you. Second thing, not just practice or getting ready for the game, the second thing is to be present, dressed, and ready to play in the game. It's always good for players when they show up to wear their uniform. I'd say that's an identifying mark of a team, right? 
as they come dressed and ready. Look what it says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So it's talking about Jesus being a living stone. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you look at that, it's the idea of coming as a player, to be present and dressed and ready. This, this idea of being a living stone follows after the idea that Jesus is called a living stone. We're going to see a little bit more of that in the verses that follow. But Jesus is a living stone, and we come behind him. And living stones in this particular passage is, just means like a, a group of stones that are put together on purpose to look like something. And so God puts us together to look like something. We come as living stones under the living stone to do what God has called us to do. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 talks about who Jesus is and that God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we think about that and think about who Jesus is as the living stone, precious, chosen and precious that we ought to be just like him and being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God has put us together to bring glory to himself. God has put us together not to bring glory to ourselves, but glory to him. So if we think of it's about getting as many people in here so that we could say, hey, we got a packed house. Look what's happening over there. It's not about that at all. It's about what will bring God glory. Packing this house will bring God glory, but we have to keep the right perspective that we are living stones under the headship of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, is your communion with those in the body bringing unity and ultimately glorifying God? And if it's not, then we have some work to do at the altar. We should be a unified group of people as living stones put together by Him, bringing glory to the Father. Third thing is we are paired. Now, on the upward court, I know how that works. Uh, with the younger ages, they're given wristbands, and they go up there and they go, look, I got blue. You know, look for the other blue one, and they try and pair them up. And, and sometimes that works. Sometimes it's a little bit of a mismatch. Um, when Becca was young, our daughter was always really small, but she was a little bit quick and seemed to always be paired up with somebody taller than her who may have been a little slower of foot, but never allowed Becca to make a shot. She, just, she wasn't that quick and, and just had a, had a tough time. But when we get paired up, we are not just paired up across teams, but we are paired up as teams. And so the idea for those of us who are believers is that we are paired as teammates together to win the game. Look at verse 6. For it stands, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. 
Uh, that, that means that it's set. It's set by God. It's a permanent thing. It's talking about Jesus being a cornerstone. He's one that is worthy. It says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the head, the very cornerstone, and a, stum- a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And then look why it's a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. It says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, we've talked about this idea of foreknowledge and predestination, elect and chosen, and those kind of terms. Understand that when God inspires this, that He has the ability to see that present spot where those believers in Asia Minor were, but He also has the ability to see the very end of the picture. And so when we read this, understand that God can see that, and He can refer to it anytime He wants. It's not that He's making them disobey. It's that He just understands how they're going to respond to God's Word. And so when we look at this, we understand that Jesus, I'm laying us in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, talking about Jesus, that He is both, both beautiful and offensive. So how can that be? To those that receive God to those that are called, to those that respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to to receive the forgiveness that is available through Jesus Christ. He's beautiful. That's why we say the cross is beautiful. Because we understand that salvation came through the shedding of blood on the cross of Calvary. But it's also offensive. Because those that want to push away and push back on God because God calls them to something, they stumble over it. They're offended by that. That's why there's a a group of folks that you would run across on a regular basis and say, we don't want to hear about God. We don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. We don't want that in our school. We don't want that in the public houses. We'd just as soon erase it from all buildings. It's because it is a stone of stumbling. It's something that brings conviction. And conviction hurts. Conviction, there is an abrasiveness to conviction that we fight against. You know how it works? Even as believers, when we are convicted, we push back, don't we? We either push back or we give in. Conviction isn't all that fun. But look look as we go further. It says, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. So look at those labels. Are these not good labels? They're great labels. For, For you are a chosen race. A chosen race. What that means is that you are family. You are kin. You belong to the family of God. It's, it's the John 1, 12 and 13 where you've been adopted into the family of God. 
And being adopted in the family of God means that God chose you to be part of Him and He will not cast you out. So you've been adopted into the family. You are a chosen race. Then a royal priesthood. The, the royalty and, and priesthood is, is a big deal. You think about royalty in, that, in, in terms of this generation or this, this particular people. You remember, maybe if, even if you go back to Nehemiah, remember just the, just the cautiousness at which Nehemiah approached the king? That was the culture. His approaching the king was uh, a big deal. You did not take that or go in lightly. Esther, same way. You didn't just walk in and say, hey, dude, what's happening? I like your chair. No, O king, live forever. Let me bow down and hope you won't kill me. That was how you approached the king. And yet what Peter calls us, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You have access to the Father. The veil has been torn. You now have access to the Father through the priesthood of believer. You are royalty. Come on in. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Hebrews 4. 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access to the Father. It's a part of royalty. Third thing is we're a holy nation. That Greek word is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic from. So we're part of that and and this means that there's an atmosphere that goes with it that we are the people of God's character. We talk about culture all the time and cross-cultural things. If we walked into an African, a predominantly African-American church this morning, worship would look different. In fact, your response to anything that I would say would be different. You'd be a lot louder. You may talk back in, and I was listening to somebody the other day, they said they talk back in whole sentences. And that, that's the way it would work. It's an ethnic part. But we are called to be God's people. We are a holy nation. We are set by His character, identified by Him. And then lastly, God's own possession. We are a purchased possession. It means that He has acquired us. So we look at that a people for his own possession, so that or that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look at all the labels that you get for what reason? That you may proclaim him. That you may show off God. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, I love looking for deals, and I think I've, I've told you this before. I, I like finding them, and sometimes I get to brag about it. You know, the $5 shirt, you know, that kind of thing. It messes with Deb because she can't find them, but I, can, I seem to be able to find them. It's, I like bragging about that. And if we, put, if we think about this in terms of that, think about what a great deal it is that God has chosen us as His people. 
that he's called us a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people after his own possession. What a deal. Is that not worth bragging about? And it's about really giving God the credit. It's about being part of the team that gives credit where credit is due. The fourth thing is the word played. It's the effort in the game, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we're going back into a little bit of behavior here. Which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, what, what I see in that is that as we're in this game called life and we are representing Jesus Christ well, in fact, if you've got a children's handout this morning, there's a place where you get to put your name on the back of Shaquille's shirt. And some of you are going, oh, I want one of those. Um, but it's a, it's a label that's on there. But what Peter's talking about here, he's talking about this idea that as you are playing, there's some trash talking that's going on. I've seen some trash talking, even in Upward, just a little, not a lot, but there's been a little. And, it, and it's kind of funny to watch because you know it's done in, with, um, with good intentions, but, but there's this idea, you know, well, I'm going to mess with you. And even the referees get in on it. I mean, they'll, they'll tell, the, tell the coaches, I'm, I'm going to tee you up this morning, you know, or, or uh, I'm calling a foul on all y'all and I'm going to get to take the shot, you know, however that works. But, but what's happening here is the people who are living in, in exile are being surrounded by people that may trash talk them. And they've got to understand that as that pressure comes in, their job is to identify as a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Their job is to identify as one that belongs to Christ. To not get wrapped up in that. So, in fact, as they move there, they may even want to get wrapped up in the culture. And I would say this, as you observe the culture and desire to fit in, because that's always our tendency, right? To fit in to what's going on around us. Nobody in here wants to be a standout, do they? If Wayne came back up and led a praise song, how many people actually raised their hand? It's not a whole lot, is it? Could be everybody. I don't see, I don't see hardly any slings in this room. So we could raise our hands, but we don't because we may feel out of place. We want to fit in. So as, as they were called to be in that spot, which was a culture different, as they observe the culture and desire to fit in, the idea that Peter is telling them is don't, don't give in. Don't give in to the culture around you. Why? They needed to stand out. They needed to be different because it was God's reputation that they were carrying. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, the idea of you don't belong here, you're not staying here. You've moved here, but this is not your permanent home. To abstain from 
the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. They are toxic to your inward being as you try and fit in to the outward part of life. If you try to fit into the things around you, it, it will eventually sp- affect your spiritual nature. And it will take away your desire for the Word of God. You know how that works. If I'm in sin, I don't desire God's Word. So what Peter says, understand that there's a war here. So keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak to you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It doesn't, if you, you read that, you go, I don't, I don't know if I understand that. Jesus is coming back. And what brings glory to God at that point is your testimony of how you stood for God and how you followed Him and were labeled by the things that God labels you by, not by what others label you by. So this morning, as we think about playing to the end, playing in the big game, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you on the team? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? The second thing, if you're on the team, are you dressed and ready to play? And are you willing to be called by the label that Jesus calls you by? And then thirdly, it's just the idea that you are ready to go and play. And some of you have been wanting to be on the team and you've even dressed out and you've sat on the bench, but you've really not got in the game. And this morning, it may be the altar you need to visit to say, I'm willing to be in the game or I want to play. Some of you may need to come forward and accept Christ as Savior. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. 